podcast time. Hey, Jimmy. Jimmy, what time is it? It All Adds Up, the podcast that saves you all the money on all the things. So today, we're doing things a bit differently. So far throughout this podcast series, my brother John and I have uploaded 32 short episodes that have focused on ways to save money on everyday items or at everyday places. So our first season talked about how to save money on utility bills. So our episodes covered everything from toilets to smart thermostats. Then our second season focused on saving money on food. And in our third and fourth seasons, we discussed saving money on transportation methods and at places we frequently go to, like the gym and live sporting events. And our fifth season kicks off next Sunday, where we will be talking about how to save money on miscellaneous everyday items, so anything from paper to clothing to soap. But today, we're kicking off a parallel mini-series, which we're going to refer to as our Deep Dive series. So in our Deep Dive series, we're going to interview industry experts that have insight into some of the topics that John and I have already researched and discussed in our main series. We'll be dropping these episodes every so often, in addition to our weekly main series episodes. The goal with our Deep Dive series is to give you even more ideas to save money in your everyday living. So let's get started. So welcome to our first deep dive episode. In this episode, we're going to take a closer look at some of the topics that John and I discussed in our food season. So today, I'm joined by a good friend and YouTube cooking star, Ethan Chabowski. So Ethan, I'll let you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your YouTube channel and its focus. Yeah, so thanks, Lizzie, for having me on. Like I said, I'm Ethan Chabowski. Um, I run a cooking channel on YouTube. Specifically, it's all about home cooking and how do we become better home cooks, whether that's through learning different food techniques um, and how those, like the difference between double frying a french fry and single frying a french fry, or also how to keep our knives sharp, how to organize our kitchen, and all these things that kind of holistically become a package of becoming a better home cook for whatever reason you may want to, if it's to make better food, to make save money, to become healthier, or whatever, that's kind of what I'm all about exploring um, on my YouTube channel. That's awesome. So how did you become so knowledgeable in the world of food? Yeah, so it, it really was just, uh, cooking is always, for me, it's been just one of those things that I just loved to do growing up. Like both of my parents, um, they weren't cooks or anything, but they cooked basically all our meals growing up. Um, so naturally got interested that way. And then I never really wanted to do cooking as a career or anything. Um, I've never worked in a restaurant. I've never really had any formal training. All my training has been self-taught through books, through self-experimentation and, and things like that. So I started the YouTube channel, I think about two and a half years ago now, um, while I was still working for um, Deloitte as an, a consultant. And it was just a fun thing for me to do on the weekends um, and, and to become a kind of better home cook and kind of document that journey. Um, and then since then, I mean, you know, I think I've made 200 and probably 20 or 230 videos. So if you're making 230 videos over the course of two and a half years about how to make better food, you're, you're gonna become better yourself. Um, so that's really 
where how like all that has come from it's it's all self-taught it's all self-experimentation it's all learning from books and people that have come before me well i think how much you've learned and improved over time is very reflective in the increase in subscribers you have as well your youtube channel has really taken off recently how many subscribers are you up to now yeah so we actually just hit uh 400,000 like i think sometime last night um which is wild because i think back in june i was at like 20,000 um, so it was like two years from zero to 20,000. And now it's like in the past six, almost seven months, it's like 20,000 to 400,000, which is just like, I don't know how to rationalize that number. It's just wild. That's so awesome. So you mentioned some of the benefits of cooking from home as opposed to eating out. Is it mostly for health reasons? Is it financial reasons? Is it just you have more control over the taste of your food and you've gotten good enough that your food's better than restaurant food? Yeah, I mean, there's a million different reasons why, I mean, I think a lot of people should cook. But yeah, one of one of the big things is, I mean, is a cost perspective. I mean, you know, if you go out four to five times a week, you're spending 10 to $15 on a lunch or or you know, if you go out to dinner and you grab a drink, it's probably going to be at least 20 to 25, maybe 30. It depends where you go. Um, whereas like if you're cooking at home, you can make a lot of that. And if you learn how to cook, you can make it just as good. In my opinion, I like there's many things that I can make for myself that I have now I'm like, well, why do I need to do that? So recently, I think probably two weeks ago, I released a video, um, about it, like a Chick-fil-A grilled sandwich. Um, you know, like you could take the time to go to Chick-fil-A, sit in the drive-thru, all that. But like by the time you actually do that, you've probably, you've probably been gone for 30 minutes, you know, maybe 10 minutes there. It, there's always a line. Like there, the fast food, I feel like is not fast anymore. I feel like every time I actually stop, I'm like, I've, I've been sitting here for five, 10 minutes. Um, and then by the time you get back or you eat in your car or whatever, so like if you completely eliminate that and you know you make one trip to the grocery store versus four or five times during the week like that's an instant savings and then the food price itself i mean yeah fast food is fairly cheap but it's not it's not expensive to make it at home either like it's it's just as cheap in most cases and probably cheaper um so there definitely are these big benefits i mean it'd be super interesting to one day, and that's something that I do want to do for my channel is kind of document maybe a week's worth of um, if I ate out for maybe four to five times and seeing how I could use that money and how much food I could make at home for it. So that's something I definitely want to explore because it's a it's a super interesting way to make home cooking you know more accessible and realizing that yeah, like you could be wasting a lot of money by you know eating out several times per week. Absolutely. So that's really intriguing to me because I am such an awful cook. So for people like me, what's the most important rule of thumb when it comes to cooking a delicious meal? Yeah. So the interesting thing with cooking is, is once you start understanding some of the kind of base techniques behind it, you'll realize that it doesn't really matter what you're cooking, whether it's like something from Italy or, or Japan or China, like it's all the same basic stuff. One of the big things um, that I see with home cooks is not understanding salt, not understanding, you know, temperatures, not understanding how to use fat and acid, um, which is a big thing for me. So there's a great book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by uh, Samin Nosrat, 
really great book to read. It's, it's one of the ones in my collection that I, I reference fairly frequently. And it's all about these base components that affect the dish. So for me and many, I mean, many chefs think the same thing. Salt is really the most important. And it's not, we're not salting our food to make it taste salty. We're not, we're not just throwing salt for the sake of throwing salt on something. We throw salt on it to give it a purpose, to make and enhance the flavors that are already there. So if you were doing meat, you know, salt, you know, it seasons it obviously, but it also has interesting properties where if you let it go for a day or more through a wet brine or a dry brine, which is a way of applying salt, it actually tenderizes the meat. Or if you boil your pasta in salted water, the pasta itself will taste seasoned versus being bland and then hopefully your sauce is really nice or else that pot if the pasta is bland it's not going to be good or if you do both and you have an unseasoned sauce and an unseasoned pasta you know it's not going to it's not going to come out that well versus just adding in layering in some salt while the pasta is boiling itself and while you're adding it later in the sauce so like that's a huge thing that is is something I try to preach in my videos is like Think about how you're using salt in this dish. You know, when am I using it? Um, am I gonna sprinkle it in while I'm sauteing down some of the vegetables in the base? And then am I gonna also add a little bit later on once it's like a, maybe that's a soup or something? So then you add a little bit, you layer it in the beginning, not much because you don't wanna overpower it. And then at the end you taste it and you're like, all right, does this need a little something? And then you just gradually add a little bit more. So I think a lot of people kind of get afraid to oversalt things. But for me, it's like, you don't know what properly salted food tastes like is unless you oversalt it, right? It's like you have to, you have to undersalt food, you have to oversalt food, and then you gotta kind of dial in that, whatever that is for you, and right? For some people, it'll be, it'll be different amounts. Um, so that's a big thing for me. And then temperatures for things, if you do cook meats, temperatures are so important. It doesn't really matter what the, method if you're baking it you're roasting it you're frying it you're you're doing whatever but understanding that you know use a thermometer throw in your temperatures it's it's a foolproof method right like it's a temperature or a thermometer is a great tool because it takes the variability out of cooking um which is really important to learn like as you know someone who who may not know how to cook it's like if you're going based off these temperatures which is like a you know, it's a figure, like I gotta hit the figure and then I know. And then like with that, you have variability. So it's like, all right, if I like, you know, chicken at, you know, 155 versus 165 versus 175, like you can make that decision, but you should at least try the different ones in between. Um, so that's another big thing, salt, temperatures. Um, and then probably one of my favorites is how to use acids. So. If anyone has watched my channel, they know I have a video saying why I always have pickled onions in my fridge. And, and if you also watch some of my videos, you also see that I put pickled onions on just about everything. And it's because this is like an acidic component that helps balance out the rest of the dish. So like if something is very savory or it's very fatty, right? Like a, maybe a, a piece, a big, uh, like a big soup or a stew or like, really anything that's kind of fatty, like having an acidic component to kind of come through and give your, your palate a little bit of just something new, a little bit of brightness, um, a little bit of that, that tangy feeling is like a, a huge way to do it. So ways we can use acid through pickled onions or pickled anything in general, or 
maybe you're adding in like a drizzle of lemon juice like we do in vinaigrettes um, and kind of understanding those core components that's really what helps people in my opinion become a better better cook like it's it's the understanding the components and then experimenting with them over time rather than just like following the same recipe over and over um, which is great but for me it's like the recipe is there for you to have and to reference but really we want to be thinking about what are the underlying components in this recipe that are making the dish good in and of itself. And those components essentially boil down to salt, heat, fat, and acid. And yep. I remember the first time you told me this and I felt mind blown. It was so simple but so effective in making food taste better. I can't tell you how much I use pickling juice now <laughs> on, on everything. It's like every dish in my life before you showed me that episode completely lacked a balance of acid. Yeah, it, no, it totally is wild. And, that, and then that's the cool thing with cooking is like, once you start understanding just these like basic things, like it makes a huge difference right away. Like it's, it's not like, like it's very instant gratification, which is fun because it's like, it's like, oh, like I can use this in a lot of things now, which is why like I in, in you know, the, my channel is like I always try to give the recipe. Yes, but also try to make people understand what are these like basic things that we're doing that actually like make the dish what it is. Yeah. Why does this taste good? Yeah, exactly. No. And that's one of the reasons I love watching your videos, because the skills that I'm learning in one video, I almost don't need to watch five other ones to make a different dish. It's like I, it's completely transferable. Our second season of the podcast focused on all things food related. And so I want to pick your brain about some of the topics from these episodes. So in our house party episode, we talked about the financial savings that can be achieved by purchasing things in bulk. But one of the important things to remember was that it's only good to purchase in bulk if you know you'll consume all of that product before it goes bad. Are there specific ingredients that you keep around and tend to purchase in bulk? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I think exactly that is kind of the caveat to buying in bulk um, that I think a lot of people may not get right away. It's like, yeah, it's good to buy in bulk, but it, like you have to use it, you know, and it, you can't have just like boxes of something just stuffed back because you're also wasting your storage space too. So for me, the things that I mainly buy in bulk that I know I use fairly frequently are things like flour, um, a lot of baking stuff. It's just because I bake a good bit. So I know that I'm, there's a reasonable chance that I'm going to use it. So yeast is another one. Um, you can actually buy like a pound of yeast um, and store it in your freezer. And then, you know, ba basically what I do is I have half of it in my freezer, half of it in my fridge, and it lasts like up to a year or two years. I forget what the actual number is. Um, so that's another huge thing. And then a lot of canned items. So I basically always have canned tomatoes. I always have either dried or canned beans. So this would be like chickpeas, black beans, things like that. Those are things that I know that I use fairly frequency. And I mean, there's like, I think they last super, super long because they're canned, obviously. So I, there's literally no risk of me not using them. Um, so a lot of canned items, a lot of rices. I'll buy like a 25 pound bag of rice, like basmati rice or jasmine rice. Um, again, that's something I know I cook with a lot and it's something that lasts a really long time. And then some oils I will buy in bulk. So for me, I also like to fry a good bit. Um, 
it's one of my favorite cooking methods. So I generally buy like a big gallon or two of peanut oil and up front it seems pretty expensive, but that's another thing with um, frying oil is you can actually reuse it somewhere between like four to six times without it really degrading quality. And actually in some cases it actually works better the second or third time because it becomes more hydrophilic, I guess is the term because the water from the food has started to work in a little bit. So it's instead of, or is, is it hydrophobic? Now I'm forgetting which one is it. Is hydrophobic afraid of water? Correct? Yes. <laughs> I know that. Don't know what hydrophilic means. <laughs> um, but yeah, so hydrophilic, the oil becomes more hydrophilic. So it actually, it actually fries the food better than, um, than it does the first time around. And as long as you're straining your oil, you're straining it. So what I do for mine is I take my leftover fry oil, let it completely cool down so I can you know transfer it to a container. Then I will put a container underneath, put a metal strainer on top, and then put a paper towel inside it. Just dump the oil and let it slowly drip out. And that's gonna strain out any like flour or little like bits of breadcrumbs or, or anything that might be in there to a reasonable degree. And then a big thing with frying is like if you really want to make sure you haven't burnt anything because the burnt taste will permeate regardless of if you strain it or not. So if you have burnt whatever you were frying, in that case, I would not save the oil. But again, that goes back to the temperatures from oil from earlier. If you know those temperatures of what your oil should be, which is around like 350 degrees Fahrenheit, you're not going to burn stuff. So it all really like layers on top of itself, like just understanding the basic cooking things also goes into, oh, well now I can save my oil because I haven't burnt my fried chicken. So like it still smells fine. And then as long as I'm straining out like the excess, you know, little pieces of flour, things that just get in the oil, you can use it, you know, three, four, five times. And in, you're not just, you're not just getting oil once using it and just throwing it away, which is what so many people do. And like it, it irritates me to no end. Just like seem like I always, I, it always hate when people are like, oh, like frying is such a waste. Like I just waste all my oil. And it's like, no, it's like you chose to waste it. Like you could have saved it. Um, so that's something in my frying videos, I always try to point out like, Hey, this is how I, this is how I save my oil. I probably use it at least three or four times, um, before I, you know, before I get rid of it. Or in most cases I've used it, I've used it up enough where it's just like, there's not much left at all. Right. Well, it's interesting that you bring this up because in our episode called Save the Food, we mentioned that there are several ways that you can repurpose food scraps or, you know, just get creative about with what's left over in your pantry to reduce the food waste. And so if you reduce food waste, you're reducing how much money you've spent on that food that you ultimately throw away. So you already mentioned reusing oil for up to five or six times. What are some other ways that you can repurpose food in the house to reduce food waste? Yeah. So for me, there's kind of like two trains of thought with um, reusing food. So it's like if I have something made like a leftover like food in and of itself not a leftover ingredient it's like okay i can make that into a new dish or if it's like a leftover thing like vegetables or like vegetable scraps or or bones or something that you can actually turn into a new ingredient or a new component so for me probably the thing that i do the most is make broths this is for the second one so if i roast a chicken 
Um, I don't throw the chicken bones away. I don't throw the carcass away. What you can do is actually just add it to a pot, throw water, and this is just, this, like, it's just the bones. Like, you've already eaten all the chicken or saved it or whatever, you know, have it as leftovers. The bones, though, you just throw them in a pot, fill it with water. You put it in the oven at 180 degrees Fahrenheit. You let it go for, like, six to eight hours. Um, you don't need to watch it. I mean, you can do this on your stovetop, too, but I much prefer it in the oven just because... You don't need to watch it. You can just go about your day, do whatever, and then you just strain it off, and then you have you have chicken broth. You can use for soups. You can use it for risottos. You can use it for rice pilaf. You can use it in different sauces. There's a million things that you can use broths for, um, and that and that goes for anything you're you know like a rib roast or or anything that has a bone. You can probably make a stock out of it. Same with you know if you have leftover like uh, shrimp. Uh, like shrimp shells, fish shells, anything like that can instantly be made with broth. And then same with vegetable scraps. So like if you're, um, you know, skinning a carrots or celery or, or whatever, parsnips, potatoes, um, onion pieces, throw that in a bag, throw that in your freezer, just fill it up over time. Once you have a full bag, throw that into a pan with some, uh, you know, oil, just kind of fry everything up to like release those aromatics. Put water in it, same thing. Just put it in the oven, let it go for a couple hours. You've got a vegetable stock. So that's 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 something that I do a lot as far as like making a new ingredient. Um, on the other hand is like turning things that you've already made, maybe like a leftover vegetable or leftover like roasted vegetables, leftover meat or or things like that is then turning them into a new dish. So for me, um, we did a pita pizza video recently on my channel where I was just saying, hey, like you literally just take a pita, you throw any kind of sauce on it. So I was like, you could throw hummus on this, you could throw tomato sauce, pesto, you can throw like a yogurt based sauce. You could literally do anything, right, as the sauce base. And those could be leftovers from a pasta night the day before. It could be leftover from a Mediterranean dinner the night before, something like that. And then you throw some cheese on it and then any other toppings you want. You could throw roasted vegetables. You could throw a little bit of leftover chicken. You could throw a little bit of, you know, sausage or, or anything on it. And then at the end, what I like to do is throw some fresh um, vegetables. So it's a great way to use up herbs, you know, chop up and mince up some herbs, throw some cilantro on it, throw some lettuce on it, throw some tomato, little scraps of things that you have left over. And that's a big thing is kind of understanding like where you can substitute things and easily not be beholden to be like, oh, I want to make this recipe, but I don't have this exact two ingredients. Now I need to go to the store, right? It's instead think, okay, I don't have these two ingredients, but do these two ingredients matter that much? And like, could I substitute something else? And then you kind of go from there. So that's something over the past probably few months, I've tried to incorporate more into my channels, like giving people the blueprint to... Um, making things. So we try to break it down into those same base components for like a vinaigrette, for example, like a dressing, it's, you know, it's a fat and an acid that you mix and emulsify together. But then for seasonings, I mean, you could throw any kind of spices in there. You could do any kind of herbs in there. So I think, again, it's, it's really like it, it is, they play in tandem. It's understanding the base components, thinking about when you can substitute. And then that's going to save you so much in your re being able to reuse your you know, your food that a lot of people would normally just, you know, throw away and, and let go. 
When it comes to vegetable broth, are there certain types of vegetables that taste better together, or is it really just whatever hodgepodge of veggie scraps you have, it'll work out? Yeah, so traditionally, you know, in broths or stock, like more aromatic vegetables are used. So this would be things like onions, carrots, um, celery is like a very traditional kind of, you know, broth taste. That being said, I mean, no, like you can use, you can use sweet potato skins, you could use potato skins, um, you can use really anything. I mean, yeah, it's, it's going to taste different. And then I think the thing with, you know, vegetable broth versus um, like meat bone broths or like a chicken broth is that the bones actually do have um, collagen in them, which is going to slightly gelatinize in the broth. So you're not going to have the same mouthfeel um, with a vegetable broth as a you know, as like a, a chicken broth or beef broth or something. But you know, that's perfectly fine because it depends on what you're using it for. You know, maybe in a pure soup, you want to have the chicken broth. But if you have a vegetable broth, I mean, you can just use it and cook your rice in vegetable broth instead of water. Instant way to add flavor that like is, it's just an instant way to use it. It's just something super easy like that. Um, so yeah, there's going to be some like upsides and downsides, to like which things you pick here and there but there's ways that you can use it, which are gonna be really useful and just ways to add more flavor rather than just like, you know, throwing away all your vegetable scraps. Instead, you're gonna extract some flavor from it. Yeah, I cooked rice for the first time in vegetable broth maybe two weeks ago, and I was so amazed that I had never thought to do that before. <laughs> you know, why was I always using water to cook rice? The vegetable broth was absolutely the way to go. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because that's that's a video topic I made a long time ago, like two, like very early on, um, that I that I'm actually looking at redoing now because yeah, like there's so many ways you can add more flavor um, to your like rice, which is something that a lot of us eat a lot of the time, um, and you can use it. You know, it can be used that thing that you reuse, or there's things like uh, you just fry it down in some like oil ahead of time. Like there's many ways that you can kind of enhance rice and actually, so another thing I actually should have touched on earlier is another thing you can do if say you have skin on your chicken or your chicken thighs or something, you can actually remove that skin if you, if you don't need it for the dish you're making and slowly render out the fat. Um, it cooks down, it's just gonna slowly render out and then you strain that off and now you have this new fat source. So you could use it to fry things, you could use it to just toast up rice or whatever. Um, but that's like another example that just came to my mind while I was thinking about, you know, the rice. Like there's so many different potential ways that we can use, you know, the basics of cooking to like transform new ingredients. Yeah, that's really cool. So I really like it how you set up these recipes so that people know the general balance of the dish, but there's a ton of flexibility to substitute ingredients or vegetable types, uh, especially if you know how all of the tastes form together. So you talked about interchanging spices as well. Are there certain types of spices that you like to keep in your pantry? Like, do you have any recommendations for the best ways to purchase spices? Because I know these can be a little bit expensive up front. Yeah, for sure. So spices are a very important pantry item to have um, because, yeah, like if you have a good pantry with a bunch of spices is you can transform, you know, the same vegetable into like six different cuisines if you have the spices to do so with the same meat into six different cuisines. So for me, I, I actually have a video on this. Um, it's all about spices. So 
it kind of covers, I think at the time, like I, I listed out like 20, we can, and we can list this in like the show notes or, or something um, for people to check out. But yeah, it, I have like 20 or 25 kind of base spices that I typically have on hand. Now there's probably like a top five that I always have. And this is gonna vary from person to person for sure. Um, but my kind of top five are cumin seeds, um, oregano, garlic powder, uh, chili powder, and I forget what the top one at listed one at the time was. But there are kind of like a base, at least like I would get five or six that you're very comfortable with. Um, but yeah, there's 20 to 25. And then to actually purchase those, what I did in that video and what I found is easily the cheapest option is to actually check out international grocery stores. So this could be an Asian grocery store or Mediterranean or an Indian grocery store, something like that. Just look up international grocery store, see if you have one nearby, you probably do. And you'll find that since some of these cuisines use a lot more spices in them, they'll offer these spices at a much lower rate than like the little you know glass bottles that cost like seven bucks at like Whole Foods or something like which is crazy expensive versus like you could get them for a couple bucks for like three or four times that amount. Um, and then the thing with spices that you do need to be a little bit careful about um, is making sure you're using them in time. So ground spices, they do start to lose their flavor, you know, as soon as they're ground, unfortunately. So like they're, they're probably best within three to six months for ground spices but you, you can definitely use them longer than that. They're just not gonna have as much you know, aromatic compounds, so you will have to probably use a little bit more than you would in the, the first three months. But another great way to extend that even longer is to buy whole spices and then grind them yourself when you actually use them. So there's a couple whole spices that I keep. Like I said, cumin seed, I keep mustard seed, coriander, um, cloves, whole black peppercorns. There's a couple more like that. But with whole, when they're when they're still whole, they're not going to release their um, their volatile compounds, which is actually like the aromas, um, until they're actually ground up. Which is why ground spices last much longer. You can safely get away easily a year, but you can go well over like two. I'm pretty sure I have some cumin seeds that I've had for like two years, and they still smell so much more fragrant than the ground ones that I buy right away. So things like that are very important. And again, it's just, you wanna make sure you do use it. So don't probably go out and buy, you know, 30 in bulk right away. Probably start with like five, buy those in bulk, see kind of how much you use and then go from there. That's interesting. So when you grind these whole seeds, do you have a specific tool for that? What's the process? Yeah, so for me, I love mortar and pestle. So this is like the old school granite mortar and pestle, like from the olden days. Um, it's a very underrated tool, actually, in my opinion. A lot of people overlook the uh, the mortar and pestle because you can use it to grind up, you know, garlic, ginger, um, a lot of things in and of that. But yeah, I whenever I'm grinding those whole spices, I just toss them in the mortar and pestle, give them like a little crunch up, and then just run it around the edges, and and that's it. It, it takes like thirty seconds. Like it's not. It's not a hard process to do, but you can buy, there are like manual screw, I mean, kind of like a, a black pepper, you could just use a black peppercorn shaker and throw spices into it and it, it should grind up fairly reasonably. But yeah, for me, I, I love the mortar and pestle. 
So in our What's for Dinner episode, we came across some pretty interesting research that highlighted the health benefits that you can achieve from reducing or eliminating red meat consumption. Um, they also talked about financial savings from switching to more of a plant-based diet. Do you have any recommendations or advice for how to incorporate more vegetables in your diet? Yeah, for sure. I think I think the big thing with vegetables is like is making them in ways that you actually enjoy them. Like, you know, when, when I think when everyone says like, oh, like mom makes you eat broccoli or like makes you eat your greens or whatever, like we all envision like boiled vegetables that just look really boring. Um, so a video that I recently did um, was one of my favorite ways to eat Brussels sprouts uh, or my favorite new way, right? Like I've done roasted Brussels sprouts. Those kind of, they're, They've been around, everyone knows roasted Brussels sprouts, but another great way to use it is kind of slice them super thin and then mix them in a salad with all these really flavorful vinaigrette and like other like components that you can add to it. Um, another video I think we just released like a couple days ago was uh, my vegetable korma video, which is one of my favorite ways to eat a lot of vegetables. Like that's literally what I titled it. and actually probably more popular than vegetable korma is chicken korma um, but I like it with vegetables it's one of those dishes that I love with vegetables and there's a lot of dishes like um, kormas or curries or sauce based dishes maybe stir fries uh, fried rice where these typically may have things like meat in them maybe they'll have some chicken or they'll have some beef um, you know chopped up and then stir fried but a lot of times you know if you don't have the meat on hand like you know, make it with vegetables. Like you can just toss in some extra, you know, bok choy. You can toss in, you could toss in some nuts, like, you know, peanuts or, or a little bit something to give it a little bit more body, a little bit more flavor. Um, a lot of the times, I mean, when you are mixing a ton of like spices and aromatics in, in with it, you know, the meat's not necessarily the star of the show, like a steak would be, right? Like if you want a steak, you gotta go out and get a steak. But if you wanna make a stir fry with, you know, flavorfully spiced things, you don't have to have meat in it. Like you can easily use a variety of vegetables um, for things like that, stir fries, curries, soups. Um, those are kind of my favorite things where it's like, okay, I don't have the meat, but it's like not a big deal. Like we'll just throw a bunch of vegetables in and, and go that way. Okay, so today has been super helpful and informative. Thank you for sharing your expertise. So if people want to look more into your YouTube channel, how can they find you? Yeah, so I'm Ethan Jabowski everywhere. I mean, the last name's kind of hard to spell, but you'll be able to see it in the title. Or if you type in Ethan C. Cooking, I'll probably show up. Um, I'm also on Instagram um, and TikTok sometimes, and I do some live streams on YouTube too, so if you're into that, maybe another reason to check me out. Um, but yeah, Ethan Jabowski everywhere. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed. It was really fun talking with Lizzie about kind of all these things of how, like, cooking is this super cool skill to learn for a variety of reasons from, you know, healthy to finance to food waste and all these things. So hopefully you guys have enjoyed. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to our first deep dive episode. Hopefully you learned some more tricks when it comes to reducing food waste and cooking healthy and affordable meals. But even if these financial savings can seem small, just remember it all adds up. And be sure to follow us on social media. Our Instagram handle is it all adds up podcast. Our website is it all adds up podcast.com. And you can find us on Facebook at it all adds up the podcast. And a huge shout out to John for handling all of the audio work for this podcast. 
Follow his bands by searching Stray Tuesday or Mother of Earl on Spotify and Apple Music.